Hi, this is Sosei Nepa of Star Trek, where we talk about Seth MacFarlane's aspirational remix of Star Trek. I'm Skilltile. And I'm Van Velding. Today we are doing If the Stars Should Appear. So the crew of the Orville finds a generation ship. Uh, the people inside of it think that they are the only living beings in the galaxy. And in order to save the ship, the Orville has to overcome their theocratic autocracy uh, to teach them about the outside world. Uh, it's, it's an okay one. I think the the easiest comparison to a Star Trek episode is For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, where the crew of the Enterprise finds a generation ship um, who is unaware of the outside world, and the crew has to overcome their auto, autocratic religious dictatorship to save all their lives. It's similar. It's similar. Also in TOS, I thought that the Nazi episode was also pretty similar. And that you have to find a resistance group and then uh, yeah, knock out right. the dictator, rescue someone. Yeah. Makes sense. I didn't. I didn't think about that. Um, it has the same thing that Generations had, where uh, Lamar, and what's a great comedic beat, they blow up a curl ship, and Lamar is like, "Yeah," and he celebrates, which is a thing that Data does in Star Trek Generations, where they blow up the Cleon ship, and Data's like, "Yeah," and they start crashing, and Data's like, "Shit." It's very similar beats, both. You know, funny. Isaac also has some similar beats to what Data gets in TNG's Ensigns of Command, where he gets basically stranded on a planet while the rest of the crew is doing something else, and he has to uh, convince people to change their ways so that they can save their civilization. And the thing is, those are all like good stories, and what I like about them is that they all they focus on characters and/or they they create worlds instead of just having random things happen. Um, things just happen in this episode. They just walk into the resistance, basically. It's one or two funny moments, but there's no real challenges. Yeah. They, they find a shack in the woods, and they shoot a farmer, and then there's a lady, and there's her kid, and Isaac immediately pivots for the kid, and he's like, hello, young man, you seem to know where the resistance is. And he does, and he just leads them to the resistance immediately. Um, when they need to save Grayson later in the episode, they just go into the bad guy's office i feel like the scene from the last action hero where the kid just goes out he's like there that's where the bad guy lives and then and then mcfarland does does a really good bit where they shoot the guard it was it was fun but then they just go in and save her it just happens well limited sets you know then the villain he's just like yes the antidote's over here give it to her it's just <laughs> Grayson's struggle when she's being interrogated is the only one that feels real. And then once they stun the bad guy, give him a talking to and save their friend, mission accomplished. The resistance knew where the secret behind the stage area was the whole time. I would love to have gotten a little bit of background on why the resistance knows where that particular one is. <laughs> just... There's got to be a lot of doors. Yeah, it's almost funny that they wouldn't that someone wouldn't know. People are like, yeah, no, there's doors in the hills for some reason. But at the same time, like, they just go there and five minutes later, there's Liam Neeson telling us the, the entire story. And it feels like we've had no conflict and things have just occurred in a sequence. There's no running themes in this. We could have made statements about what border agents are like, what global warming yeah. is like, torture not being an effective tool. They go for a half-hearted thing about how the villain knows he's wrong and just wants to maintain control, and it just does not come off. All of these things are bad, but they're really terrible at explaining that to us. It's big on things happening, but it is really short on characterization. And and that's yeah. 
that's what you need to make a good story. You need to explore your characters. This explores very little in terms of characters. There's a lovely relationship that apparently happens off screen between Clyden and Grayson commiserating about their marriages. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great link. We know about that from like a sentence where Clyden says he, he once spoke to Grayson, but I'd like to imagine there's a relationship there. A relationship we do see on screen in this episode is the one between Clyden and Bordas, although this one is just reduced to a short conversation and a look over a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> yeah, which is good, but like ice cream, it's not satisfying. It's efficient in a way that the rest of the episode isn't. It's really weird. You get so much from that, and then the rest of the episode is just not that. I don't think the rest of the episode is without purpose, though. I think it was structured intentionally. We get that parallel conversation with Alara and Isaac both asking about the Mercer-Grayson divorce. Yeah. And I think they did that on purpose to set up a future relationship between Alara and Isaac. It's interesting, especially that Alara mentions Isaac in the same breath as her relationship problems. And then in a later episode, The Krill, I think, we start off just basically repeating that same thing. And then, of course, Isaac offers to uh, romance her for science. <laughs> yeah. There's some later cues in later episodes that I think back that up too. The most important one being in the last episode of the season where you have the bishop just complimenting Grayson endlessly and Lara is like wow he'd make the perfect boyfriend which is a... It's, it's something you might say if your boyfriend doesn't praise you at home Yeah. or if your boyfriend's an emotionless robot. Yeah which we see with uh, Data in season 3 or 4 of The Next Generation when one of the crewmen try to yeah. date him. Um, when he dates a woman, as an experiment. I'd be happy to leave this... Assuming Alara and Isaac are having a relationship, I would be happy to leave it off screen. Yeah. I, I'm perfectly fine with this because I think it doesn't c contradict anything and it's a really interesting relationship because we want to see relationships between these people. You mentioned in Cupid's Arrow when Rob Lowe is on board and he's blue and making everybody want to have sex with each other. Grayson says, hey, Mercer makes me laugh. And Lara goes, hey, I'd like a boyfriend that makes me laugh, which is like the priest thing you were talking about, where that's, she's dating Isaac. He is a boyfriend who would not make you laugh much. Yeah, and that's, I'm glad that didn't presage a relationship between uh, Alara and Mercer. I could definitely see the Orville doing a Roe-Riker relationship like what happened in that episode where they all lost their short-term, no, not yeah. short-term memory, but their identities. Yeah, I was afraid this episode was setting that up. She mentions how she likes it when Mercer praises her. She mentions that he seems like a cool guy to date. And then, like, there's a Hollywood of, of dudes writing themselves with younger women and scripts. And, like, I don't want to think McFarlane's like that, that he's Woody Allening, but... On the other hand, I never know. They got really close to that in this episode, and I hope they don't go any further with that. I don't like the idea of those two together. I could see it as a failed fling or like a one-scene joke. Played as a joke, yes. If they like consensually, mutually explore a romantic relationship, unless season two is significantly better, I will immediately be out of this shit. Just completely out. Uh, how would you feel about uh, Lara having a relationship with Yafit? Would you also be out? I think it's interesting. I think that the angle we've had on Yafit is already fairly romantic. So if she were to just start dating Yafit, I don't think I'd, I'd get that. I would love to see Alara drink beers and smoke dope with Yafit. And yeah. like they just watch the same movies and play Xbox or whatever. That would be, if we accepted Alara is an insert for 
Tasha Yar. I've told you that Yafit's Jordy, right? I don't I don't know about that. I don't know. Huh. I had not heard that, no. The only thing he can moan with is his mouth, because no eyes. Hmm. He has a failed romances. He's a top engineer. I can kind of see that. Lamar isn't Jordy. Yafit's Jordy. But anyway, if we accept my Yarokira theory that Hualara is, she'll date Yafit next, and then go on to Lamar. Lamar's a good fit for her, I think. Yeah, I don't know why, but it, it feels like they are two people that, that they would pair off, I think, because they're relatively young. Maybe they are the attractive young 20-somethings on the ship, which I, yeah. is a trope I talk about. It's unfortunate that that is true, but that probably plays into it a lot, yeah. I can't, at one point, complain about Mercer being too old to date Alara, and then say, oh, it's so stereotyped to have people date folks their own age. I'm happy to date people their own age. It's great. Leave them together. I'm glad that Bordas is in a rocky marriage with a dude his own age. It's great. Yeah. Um, I think using romance as a way to characterize people is a bit much. It's kind of lazy in and of itself. Um, if it's done poorly. If you just shuffle them together into pairs. Yeah. I could. That's a hazard I'd like to avoid with Alara if we can. I would like to see more from the Bordas Clyden uh, relationship issues. Yes. This episode doesn't. I don't think we really see much from that again, the rest of the episode. But I would love to see their work-life balance get brought back up sometime. Like maybe, if you remember the episode of TNG, where we have our young Ensign and his girlfriend being the last people to get sucked into this all-consuming brainwashing video game. Oh, Wesley. Yes. Yes. Oh my god. (laughs) And if we cross that maybe with the episode of Deep Space Nine where the Ferengi gets a bunch of people sucked into this alien D&D game and it just turns out that Malloy is the only person who can maintain a good work-life balance while being sucked into video games. Yeah, that would it would be interesting if, if you do like radically change the context so that all of the, the work-life skills are, are revalued. You basically respect the universe... And Malloy is like, I always keep perspective between what's good for me and what my duty is. Then suddenly he's like really good at the things. Yeah. That would be interesting to do like a a simulated universe or like a, <laughs> God forbid, an episode where the holodeck breaks. Mal- Malloy has the, the skill set to, to save himself or everyone. Yeah. Uh, something this episode didn't do well was tying the work-life balance thread into the a plot i wish they'd done that yeah then have the lesson about ignoring looming problems in order to maintain power could turn back and then become a statement about work-life balance i mean i think that would work well in the video game episode yeah there's definitely you can definitely see the threads where they could put it into here or any message really and you could you could make it good and you know, go with hanox what's hanox's home life like you know mercer and grace and Malara talking about their relationships invites that sort of perspective yeah, but I could definitely see an episode where where it does focus and follow through on those ideas. So I believe that was our pitch. Yep. So that means we are done for the day, right? It does. Well, see you next time.